How many of you are from large families? I see a hand. Uh, over five people? Over seven? Nine? Anybody else? Nine? Eleven? Thirteen. Uh, my mom and dad had 11 kids. And uh, that is a recipe for competition, uh, mom loves you best kind of stuff, those kind of things. Um, I, I take a lot of uh, interest in Joseph. If I'd have done what he did, to my siblings, what he did to his brothers, I know what their reaction would have been. They would have grabbed me, tied me up, and put me in the basement. Uh, and then they would have yelled out to my mom, we're tying Bruce up and putting him in the basement for a week. And my mom had a great sense of humor, uh, even with 11 kids, great sense of humor. She would have, this never happened, but she would have shouted out, Okay, but just be sure you're up in time for supper. You know how your dad feels about us all eating together. And uh, they actually would have. If I'd have told my sisters that they were going to bow down to me, whoo, I would no longer be with us. But here we are. Joseph is a fascinating character. And uh, Shauna, thank you for your introduction to this today. This is uh, absolutely, I consider, now we're kind of turning a corner. This idea of transformation is where all of this is taking us. You know, we've read the whole story of Joseph. Uh, we're not quite done yet, a couple more weeks. But that's a lot of reading. And I'm going to do some fair amount of reading again today because we're going to tell the story. And we all have different reactions to different parts so I'm going to start at Genesis 44, the first verse. We're going to read the whole chapter, a couple of comments at the end, and then we're going to share uh, communion in the Lord's table before we leave today. Starting at verse 1 of chapter 44. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry. Put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. Pastor Vern got all excited about that part last week, that, that they were so excited they, they could keep their donkeys. Well, they were very valuable. So they got all this money, they didn't know about it, they, and this cup was hidden away, but they got to keep the donkeys. So they're on their way. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil. Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. Notice 
Joseph is just as sneaky and deceiving as his brothers. This is in a good way, but he's, he's a deceiver. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob's mother was a deceiver. There's a lot of deceit in Scripture. And God uses all of this for his own purposes. And so Joseph is setting up his brothers. He's testing them now. When he caught up with them, when the servant caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. Well, these guys would have done anything in the old days. Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver that we found inside of the mouths of our sacks, the stuff you gave back to us. We brought it back. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If, listen, oh, verse nine, if any of your servants is found to have it, he will die and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. What a profound thing to say. Very well then, the servant said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. And then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And there's that chronological order. How did he know? And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, verse 13, at this they tore their clothes. They were grieving. They were wailing in anguish. No, this can't be. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. What a sad procession. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves on the ground before him. One day you will bow before me. And here it is again. Joseph said to them, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? We could talk about that for a long time. Joseph knew that he wasn't supposed to be divining anything, but he... He was staying true to his story here. Verse 16, what can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. I won't do it. Only the man who is found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. And then Judah went up to him. Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. He went with fear and trepidation before Joseph, who could have had him done in with a word. Take him away. That's the kind of fear that people lived in, in front of their leaders in those days, especially at that high level of government. 
and it still exists in some parts of the world today. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, he's putting it back on Joseph, my Lord asked his servants, you asked us, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Judah is now petitioning on behalf of his father, who he loves and cares about, and for Benjamin. Well, then you said to your servants, verse 21, then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so that I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face. We won't be able to have an appointment unless Benjamin goes with us, unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he was surely born to pieces, torn to pieces, sorry. He was surely torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since, and I have grieved every day since over his loss. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, I, I see that the boy, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. This is gonna kill him. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. We guaranteed that Benjamin would be okay. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. The ones who sold Joseph into slavery are now protecting father and the youngest brother. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. What in the world has happened to these guys? It's not just Judah. They're all in it again and together once more. Completely different approach to life now. They're seeking to spare their dad more grief. Can you imagine what it was like to watch Father Israel, Father Jacob through the years, just every once in a while breaking down and weeping. Oh, my son is gone. He's been killed by animals. The lie that they told him, and they had to live with that day after day and year after year. They never dealt with it. 
Father, I thank you for this story, for the history that is here of your work in the lives of people who need you so desperately. Would you speak to us now in our day through Jesus and in his name? Amen. Well, what in the world has happened to Judah? So willing to sell a brother into slavery for a few pieces of silver, the whole silver thing becomes quite symbolic. His other brothers are all in on the plot, if not to murder the dreamer, then at least to get rid of him and pretend to their father that his favorite was dead. They, all, they went through all of that years before. They're all liars, every one of them. Evil is their intent to get rid of a family member simply because they were jealous of his special place in their father's heart. Jacob's in on this too. He's not without fault. But all of them, Reuben, Simeon, Dan, Gad, the whole bunch, all complicit, all guilty, and for 20 years they have watched with anguish and their own grief over what their father was going through. Something happened to them in those 20 years. God happened. While Jacob grieved, the guilt of the brothers grew more and more. Did they talk about it? They must have. Did they express remorse? What could they do now years later? What could we possibly do? Now we've got to be quiet. We can't tell them. God is at work, isn't he? Always. He changed them over time. He let the grace of guilt go to work on, this hard, on these hard-hearted men. And they softened toward their father, perhaps in quiet moments around the campfires at night while they're out watching the sheep. Maybe they talked of their crime. And how guilty they felt. Oh, if we had it to do all over again. Their hate had turned to remorse. By the time they actually meet Joseph again without knowing it was him, their hearts were changed. They'd been transformed by the work of God in their lives. We don't know how. We don't have the stories. We don't know how God spoke to them. But the living grief of their aging father certainly got through. When it became apparent that they were going to have to give up Benjamin, they were on the verge of completely falling apart. We can't do this to Jacob. We've already sold one brother into slavery. And we're so sorry for that now. We were being asked to do something that might push our father over the edge. He's going to die. Rather than thinking of themselves, they'd been changed, concerned, feeling, even loving sons and brothers. It comes to the point where Judah is willing to sacrifice himself. Take me. Let Benjamin go. Let my brothers go. Take me. I'll gladly stand in their place. Complete turnaround from 20 years earlier 
complete transformation. I'm going to leave the brothers behind. We'll finish up their story in the next couple weeks. But I want to speak a brief word about God's power to transform lives. Lives which hear the gospel of forgiveness, that deals with guilt and sets the sinful heart free, the guilty heart free. It's what the sons of Jacob had gone through, and we are called into it as followers of Christ. Listen carefully, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, perhaps a very familiar verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. The original Greek would be translated word for word kind of like this. If any person, if any man is in Christ, new creation. New creation. It's like, boom, brand new. Right then and there. Nothing else has to happen. Lord, I receive you as my Savior. I believe on your holy name to save us and to save me, forgive my sins. Boom, new creation. The power of God transforming the new believer. The old is new. And that's a fact. That's a promise from God. Saved, transformed, and then being transformed. It doesn't quite stop. The salvation part is taken care of. And we must never underestimate the transforming power of God. He worked in the evil hearts of the sons of Jacob. He can work in the hearts of any and all. He can work in me. He can work in you. He can work in sisters and brothers Anybody else out there, he can do that. Oh, you might say, but so-and-so is, oh, they're beyond saving. No, they are not. They're too far gone. No, they're not. Saul, who was transformed into Paul, perfect example. Judah. What about your transformation? How's it going? What about mine? How are we doing in our transformation? Are you growing in Christ? That's what this is. We are being transformed as we wait for his coming again. We are being transformed into the people that he desires us to be. How do we do that? Well, we don't really do the work of it. But we sure can appreciate what he's doing in our lives and we can enhance the experience reading his word, studying his word. Things like church, worship, fellowship, witness. All the things that we need to be about as God's people. Those things work together for our good and they work in the process of our transformation. Perhaps you like the word sanctification. Similar, not exactly the same. But we are never done. We're not finished yet. 
So we are being transformed even as we come together today. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You love God today? We sing such wonderful songs of worship. Let's continue to pray. Lord, continue to transform my life. I'd love to be a living sacrifice. It's an old joke, but you remember, uh, might be new. The only problem with a living sacrifice, it wants to keep crawling off the altar. We don't like it sometimes to be a living sacrifice. Hang in there. God is with us, transforming us. The New Testament calls us to commit ourselves to transformation. So we can work on it. We can be very intentional about our discipleship in Christ. Philippians 2 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We do not need to do the work of sacrifice for sin, but we do need to work a little bit on walking in the light as he is in the light. Cooperate with that. Pay attention. Read him, read his word. Allow God to transform us from sinners to saved, to sanctified, and being sanctified by his work in our daily lives as we follow Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. It's an ongoing thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this grace to us. You save us and you grow us. I pray that you would instill within us a passion for your love, for who you are, and for your presence in our lives. Lord, I thank you for this grace to us and ask that you would continue to live in us and carry us through. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to share in the service of communion today. Welcome back. Uh, these little cups, if you've not used one yet, you might, just, you might even take it right now and kind of get a little head start on this. Uh, and I'm not making light of this at all. This can be a little tricky if you haven't done it before. But that top little tab, if you flip that and just carefully peel that top cellophane off, and now I got both parts coming. Um, yeah, here we go. How you doing? Way better than me, aren't you? That little cellophane comes off first, and then uh, watch over the wafer. 
And uh, then a little later, right before we take the cup, I'll invite you to peel off the, the cover over the, uh, over the cup, okay? We'll get to that in just a moment. And then at the end of the service, if you just hold on to those, there are baskets, the smaller baskets on the tables by the offering plates that you can uh, place those empty cups. Let us hear the gracious invitation of our Lord given to us in Holy Scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, that's good, isn't it? This might even be better. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary, heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Rest from guilt, from remorse, from the facts of living, the hardness of it. If you're tired today, Jesus calls you, come to me. I'll give you rest. Rest is one of the most powerful themes in all of scripture. And he promises that to us. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. 317 is incredibly important. Don't leave it off of 16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Wow. How good is this? I'm going to invite you to spend just a moment in prayer, silent prayer. It won't take long. Uh, you Confess your sins to the Lord. Give him thanks for who he is in your life. Ask him to transform you. Whatever you need to do, just a few seconds, and then we'll stand and confess our faith in the Apostles' Creed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your grace to us. You do forgive us. You cleanse us and set us free. And you give us rest. For this we give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.